0: Church, let me invite you to open the scriptures uh, with me once again to Mark's gospel. This morning we'll be in the end of Mark chapter 4 as we continue our message series, Waking Up uh, to Jesus. I don't know if that took on new significance for you today with the change of time. Uh, I know there's some, uh, certainly some, some tired folks gathered this morning, but the scriptures are good. God is good. He is with us and he longs to lead us and to teach us, to instruct us in his word today. So let me invite you to join me. Uh, In Mark's Gospel. Church, this last week uh, I had the opportunity to uh, join several other pastors on a vision trip uh, in the Dominican Republic uh, through Compassion International and and visit their ministry and a behind-the-scenes look at how they operate uh, on the ground. And I look forward to sharing more about that opportunity with you in the weeks ahead. Uh, But on this particular trip, uh, some of our trip leaders uh, were former Compassion kids in the Dominican. And so what that means is that uh, due to uh, the generosity of, and leadership of a local church and a local pastor, uh, and through Compassion and, and other families uh, around the world, they were able to have access to food and education uh, and medical checks on a regular basis uh, and regular exposure to uh, the gospel. And on this particular trip... Uh, We had the opportunity to hear from a couple of these uh, now grown uh, Dominicans who had experienced uh, firsthand the intervention of God in their life. And uh, I remember being particularly struck by Jonathan's story. And so Jonathan began to share with us one night and he talked about what it was like to grow up uh, in uh, in, an impoverished situation with a single mother that was hardly able to provide for him. Jonathan recounted uh, as a a child having to dive into trash piles to look for recyclable items uh, so he could sell those and have money to provide the next meal. As a teenager, Jonathan's father uh, told him that uh, he was a mistake, that he was an inconvenience. Jonathan recounted how his, his father told him that he really was... Uh, not uh, not uh, welcomed, really wanted nothing to do with him, and Jonathan began to recount these feelings of, of abandonment. And Thankfully, the Lord intervened, and Jonathan now knows what it's like to be loved, first of all, by God, and also even by his earthly father, and certainly by others in the name of Christ as well. But I wonder this morning how many uh, of you have ever uh, felt the feeling of abandonment. Have you ever felt abandoned by someone? Have you ever felt as if you were alone and no one else seemed to really care? I wonder if any of you have ever felt abandoned by God. Perhaps, perhaps the situation of your life was such that you began to wonder why God wasn't showing up in your situation and intervening. Ever cried out to God, Lord, I'm I'm in a storm, where are you? God, don't you care what's going on? The truth is that if you've lived a life of faith or tried to live a life of faith very long, then likely there have been times in your life where you at least entertained those accusations, perhaps even asked those questions. And if so, you're not alone. The psalmist, time and time again, recount such experiences. Even Jesus' own friends, friends of Jesus, the Son of God, ask Him a similar question. And we're going to look at that encounter this morning from God's Word. So let me invite you to join me standing uh, for the reading of God's Word as we look at Mark's Gospel. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. There, the story of... Acknowledge this morning that there is no one like you, that you are a great and mighty God, and yet you are a God who is with us, a God who has spoken to us, a God who has revealed yourself uh, to us through your word. Father, I pray that you would lead us now, the guidance and the power of your spirit, that we might rightly understand the truths of your word and apply them to our lives today as your people. And it's in Jesus name we pray and ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. So here in this particular uh, portion of the story, this uh, particular portion of the Gospel of Mark, recounting the story of Jesus' life and and ministry, Jesus, uh, along with his disciples, get in boats and they set across uh, the lake. They embark out on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is a fairly large lake situated in uh, ancient and modern-day Palestine. And the Sea of Galilee sits some 700 feet below sea level, 30 miles south of Mount Hermon. And the peak of Mount Hermon is some 9,280 feet. So what does that tell us? That there's about a 10,000-foot elevation change between the height of the mountain and the surface of the sea, and the warm waters from the sea's surface continually clash with the cool air coming off the mountains, producing regular occurrences of storms. Storms occur in this area and on this sea on a regular occasion. And for professional fishermen uh, like Jesus' disciples, this storm must have been the storm of all storms, the ultimate storms for them to be so terrified. Must have been quite the storm for these experienced sailors to truly believe that they were going to lose their lives. And Mark says that's exactly what happened. They said in verse 28, Teacher, referring to Jesus' teacher, don't you care if we drown?" Jesus, wake up. Help us. What are you doing? Don't you love us? Do something. And Jesus responds. He got up, verse 39, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. The wind died down and it was completely calm. Church, Jesus is the Lord over danger. Jesus is the Lord over danger. Danger! Here the disciples are scared for their lives. They think that they are about to experience an early departure from earth. And they cry out to Jesus for help. And Jesus gets up and as if to speak to an unruly child, he says, quiet, be still. And the wind stops and the water calms. If you've ever been near the water, near a storm, then you know just because the wind dies down the waves and the water does not immediately become calm. The effect of the wind on the water is such that even after the wind ceases, the water still remains choppy, still remains disturbed, unless the Lord tells it otherwise. The wind calms and... The surface of the sea immediately stands still. And here Jesus doesn't summon some pagan god of the sea in that day, as perhaps would have been common in the ancient Greco-Roman world. He doesn't begin a chant. He doesn't even pray. He simply says, hush, and the waters cease. See, Jesus is the Lord over Danger. He is the one who possesses all authority and any authority that you or I or anyone else in this world has is simply on loan to us from him. Jesus knew when he spoke that the wind would come and the waters would smooth. He knew that when he commanded the legion of demons to leave this possessed man in chapter 5 verse 13 that they would depart. He knew that when he spoke to Jairus' daughter in chapter 5, verse 41, saying, Talitha kum, then she would wake from her slumber and she would be well. He is touched by the woman who has been bleeding for 12 years, chapter 5, verse 29, and she is immediately healed. You see, it's no coincidence that these four incredible miracles are strung together by Mark In his gospel, for Mark wants to emphasize that Jesus possesses all authority, that he is the Lord over danger, every danger, over disease, over demons, yes, even over death itself. Jesus is the Lord over danger. There is no one like him. So, church, fear him, for he is strong. Fear him, for he is strong. The book of Proverbs begins with that very theme. Proverbs chapter one, verse seven. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise knowledge and instruction. You see, to fear God, according to the scriptures, I don't think is to sit back in a room somewhere in terror because, because we know how God relates to us. We know his character, but it is to recognize who he is. It is to acknowledge his greatness and his sovereignty, his might, that there is no one else like him, and that we ought to not take coming into his presence lightly. For Jesus himself is fully God in the flesh. See, he is, he is one of us. Martin Luther got it right. And Him that we sang this morning, our striving would be losing, we're not the right man on our side. We're not the right man on our side. Christ Jesus Himself on our side. And yes, He is the Son of God incarnate. He is fully man. He is one of us, but He is not just one of us. Fully God in the flesh. Paul states it this way to the believers in Colossians. He says... For in Christ, the fullness of the deity, the fullness of God, Colossians 2 verse 9, the fullness of God dwells in bodily form. See, in Jesus, God took on human flesh. And according to the scriptures, when we see Jesus, we see God. When we talk to Jesus, we're talking to God. When we sing about Jesus, we're singing about God, there is no one like Him. And as God, Jesus is worthy of our reverence. He's worthy of our respect. He's deserving of our devotion, a recognition of His greatness, of, of who He is. In the Chronicles of, of Narnia, there's a scene that, where C.S. Lewis depicts uh, two two sisters, Susan and Lucy, uh, dialoguing with mr uh, and mr. mr. and Mrs. Beavers about Aslan, who is uh, the king. Aslan is the, the Christ figure of the story. He is uh, the lion. and upon hearing that he is a lion, this is how Susan responds. She says, "Oh, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous meeting a lion." Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. You see, Jesus is not safe in the sense that he is bridled and tame and unobtrusive. For He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the sovereign on high. He is the great I am. He is the all-powerful one. He is strong. I don't know if you've ever been uh, outside and, and noticed what happens when Uh, notice what squirrels or or other small birds do when uh, a predator shows up. Or perhaps you've been uh, in the house looking out the window and watching a squirrel and you suddenly see one run up a tree and and you realize that a dog uh, was just let out of someone's house. Or perhaps a, a big hawk just flew over and landed in a tree and the animals of prey suddenly take notice. Something significant has shown up. They run up a tree and they freeze and evade its sight likewise when when we know that that god is among us when jesus is with us we got to take notice for he is strong there is none like him and even though he is lord he is still good he's still good See, the truth is he's a good lord he is a good master he is a good king so trust him for he is good. Church, trust him. Trust Jesus. For he is good. How do we know that he's good? We know that Jesus is good because God is good. We know that Jesus is good because Jesus is God in the flesh, fully God, fully man. And because God is good, Jesus is good. Remember the story of of Jonah. Remember Jonah. God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh and to to preach. Jonah's uninterested in that mission. And he tells us why he's uninterested in that particular mission. At the end of the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 4, he's dialoguing with God. And essentially he says, God, I didn't want to go to Nineveh because I know who you are. I know how gracious you are. And I didn't want those wicked pagan Assyrians to experience your grace. This is what he says to God. Jonah chapter 4, verse, verse 2. He said, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. He said, I, I knew, God, that you are gracious and compassionate. You're slow to anger and you're abounding in love. You're a God who relents from sending from calamity. We know that that Jesus is good because God is good. These characteristics of God, these attributes of God are also fully true of Jesus. Now how else do we know that He's good? We know that Jesus is good because of His giving. His giving to us. I mentioned Jonah and incredibly I think Mark has this story of Jonah in mind as he, as he describes what happened that day on the Sea of Galilee. For he uses almost identical language to describe what is taking place. So remember, Jonah is called by God to go to Nineveh and doesn't want anything to do with that. So he tries to hide from God. He runs in the opposite direction. He goes down to the port town of Joppa along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. He sets sail on a boat and heads westward toward Tarshish. And what happens? A great storm comes upon the waters. Such a strong storm that those on board think that they are going to die. They're wondering what they can do, how they can appease the gods. And Jonah steps up. And he recognizes that the storm has come on the water because he has been running from God. And this is what he says, Jonah chapter 1, verse 12. He tells the other sailors, he says, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. Get rid of me and save your own lives. Pick me up, throw me into the sea. If I die, then you can live. Now, that's not quite how the story in Mark chapter 4 goes, but it's not that different either, is it? You see, Matthew and Luke both record Jesus' words. Jesus saying that something greater than Jonah is here. Referring to him to himself. He's saying one greater than Jonah has has come. The truth is, according to the scriptures, Jesus is the true Jonah. He is the faithful Jonah. And like Jonah, Jesus enters the storm, the ultimate storm for us, so that we can live. Jesus is not only the Lord over danger, Jesus is the sacrificial savior. Church, Jesus Christ is the sacrificial Savior. Jesus says to us, if I die, you can live. And he does so. Church, he does so. He gives his life for, for us. He dies so that we can live. Paul recounts those truths in this way. He states it this way in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. He says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. Hear this, but, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us he died for us states it this way in 1st Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7 for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed friends even though Jesus is the Lord over all the one who has all authority in his hands the one who possesses all power he is still our sacrificial savior so see his compassion See His compassion. For the Lord of all is the Lord of compassion. We read about His compassion time and time again. And the stories recounted in the Gospel, we read them right here in the very next chapter, chapter 5. So, so listen, as I read portions of chapter 5, listen for the Lord's compassion. Listen for His mercy. Mark chapter 5, verses 18-20, through 20, As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed, Begged to go with him. And Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And now he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Verse 23, same chapter. Jairus, who was a synagogue leader, pleaded earnestly with Jesus, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Same chapter, verse 33. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And be freed from your suffering. Do you see his compassion? Do you hear his compassion? See his compassion. See Christ's compassion on the sick. On the hurting. On the oppressed. On the possessed. On the cross. On the cross for you and for me. See the truth is. Some of you gathered here this morning. No doubt are. In a storm. In a challenging time. A hard time. You are in the storms of this life. And when we are in the storms. Perhaps we are led to ask the question. To wonder. God where are you? God don't you care? But the truth is that a God who is strong enough. And great enough. For us to be upset with. For not intervening when we suffer. Is also a God who is great enough. And strong enough. And And good enough to have reasons beyond our understanding. Wherever you are, I want you to consider what Jesus has done for us today. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was cast into the storm. The ultimate storm. The greatest storm of all. The storm of God's eternal justice. The storm that would have destroyed us had He not stepped in. And that storm wasn't calmed, states Tim Keller. That storm wasn't calmed until it swept him away. Jesus entered the storm for us. I want you to pause wherever you are and consider the cross. That's right where you are. Close your eyes and and imagine the, the cross. Seriously, right where you are, I know you're tired, don't go to sleep, but imagine, picture the cross. Picture how you've seen it described, perhaps how you've seen it depicted, and picture Jesus on the cross. For the truth is, if that picture remains in our minds, if that picture is... It's on the core of our beings. We will never again ask the question, God, why don't you care? God, where are you? Don't you care? Surely, if Jesus would not abandon us in that storm, the ultimate storm, the storm of the cross, then surely he wouldn't abandon us in the much smaller storms of this life. And this very same one, this very same Jesus will come again. He will return and still all of our storms for all of eternity. So let's enjoy His love. Church, let's see His compassion and let's enjoy His love. Let's enjoy the love of Jesus Christ here and now in this life. For Jesus comes to offer us Forgiveness of sins and eternal life. But he also comes to offer us rest here and now. Walking with Jesus. Trusting Jesus. Living for Jesus. Jesus said, come to me, right? Come to me. All ye who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And I will give you rest. Jesus extends rest to us now. For those who know Him, those who've repented of sin and placed their faith in Him, those who've trusted in Jesus have the Spirit of Jesus living in us, the hope of glory. And this one who resides in us longs to fellowship with us He longs to lead us. He longs to guide us. He longs to comfort us. He longs to protect us. He longs to give us hope. He longs to sustain us day by day. And he longs to come and to take us to our eternal dwelling place in his presence. So let's enjoy his love today and forevermore. For Jesus entered and endured the ultimate storm for us. Jesus entered and endured the ultimate storm us, How fortunate we are, how blessed we are to have the scriptures, God's word that recounts who he is and what he has done for us. How fortunate we are to have a firm foundation conveyed to us through his word, through his story, to rest our lives upon, to to build our endeavors upon, when through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie. My grace, all sufficient, shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose. I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul, says God, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Church, let's stand and respond to the truths of God's word. Let's express our love for him, our devotion to him, our trust in him, our commitment to him. Let's respond as the Lord leads. Father, we do give you praise today for there is none like you. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is with us, a God who cares for us, or a God who saves us. You are our Savior. Father, we thank you for intervening in our lives. We thank you for entering the storm so that we wouldn't have to. Father, we pray that you would sustain us day by day. Father, we pray that you would lead us in responding now in a way that glorifies your name. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray and ask these things, amen.